This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. We started last week a brand new series. This week we're just kind of getting into it called Fire and Water. And I opened the series last week uh, talking about the reality that Jesus presented us in the Gospel of John, that in this world we will have problems. Troubles are a part of life. We're going to have them because of stuff we've done, and we're going to experience them because of things that have happened around us. And when those come, they're a lot like fire, and, and it's like we at times feel like our lives are just putting out the fires around us. Anybody ever felt that way? I just feel like I'm just putting out fires. But, but we, in each hand, have a container when a problem comes up, and that's one is a lot like gas, and one is a lot like water. And, and, and when we, we pour that fuel on the fire, sometimes that's more where we typically tend to go, right? Our, our, our flesh, our sinful desires want to go some places that aren't exceptionally helpful when we're facing some problems. But God's grace is the water to the fires of life. And, and really, we are designed like our relationship with God, where he has given us abundant grace, we are designed to operate and live in grace with one another. And there are some barriers that exist to that. And so today we're going to dive into one of them. I'm super excited about today's message because one of my favorite people in the entire world is sharing with us today. And that's my wife, Amanda. So I'm going to leave and let her get to work. Would y'all welcome my wife? Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, as he said, I am, um, I am Amanda Simmons, and I am Pastor Kevin Simmons' wife. Um, and most of you may not even know who I am, and it's um, been kind of, uh, there's kind of a reason for that. Um, for the last, like, three years, I have served in a capacity that has been much more in the background. I felt very called to um, support Kevin in whatever way I could, just be simply being his wife and, and helping him and um, being supportive and taking care of our family. And so um, I've served in, in, in the background and in, in doing what I felt called to do. So a lot of you did, haven't seen me. Um, I am uh, not a typical pastor's wife, um, whatever that is. I don't even know if there is a typical one, right? Um, <laughs> but I, I am a mom, and I do want to introduce my family. You guys know Kevin, and, and you're going to get to know me a little bit today, but um, this is my family. That is um, Addie. Adelaide is um, eight years old, and she is incredibly loving. She loves with, like, every cell in her body. Um, she cannot help but just be incredibly tender-hearted and and I love that about her. And then Clay, he finds so much joy in whatever he does. Like, he teaches us so much about joy. Um, and he's such a good communicator. He was, um, he actually prayed for me before I got out here this morning and um, just had some of the sweetest words. Um, if you ever want him to pray for you, let me tell you, just prepare your heart because it's so good. Um, and then Cade, he is my uh, two-year-old. Uh, Cade is... Um, 
for those that know him may not like identify this, but we feel like he's a peacemaker. Um, if you know him, you're probably like, ah, really? <laughs> um, and it's simply because like how he handles um, things is like if we have tension in any um, capacity, he likes to um, rid tension through like being funny and he'll try to distract you from things because he just doesn't like, he likes peace. He likes their, even cleans, like he um, vacuums and um, like he does all kinds of stuff that I'm like, really? Um, that's awesome. Let's keep going with that. <laughs> um, but just so you know, I, I am really, like I occasionally do serve. I do serve in uh, children's ministry just occasionally. Um, and I just want to say thank you to everyone that serves at Vortex because truly you guys are what, what makes Vortex what it is. Um, I would not be able to do this if I didn't have somebody watching my kids. Um, I, I'm just so grateful for, for everyone that serves in every capacity. They put blood, sweat, and tears into this place, and it's, it's incredibly obvious in the way that they handle things, and I'm so grateful for everyone that serves. I'm also grateful for Vortex staff. We have such great leaders in Vortex staff. Um, I have gotten to uh, travel and, and be a part of all kinds of different organizations. And um, I will tell you, there is something unique about um, the staff at Vortex in that, like, they are so incredibly life-giving. They, um, they individually, they all are working towards growing and being who God has called them to be. Um, and it is really just such an honor to even be around some of the, the people that are on that on the staff. Um, last and certainly not be least. Um, I want to thank Kevin for even giving me this opportunity. I feel very humbled and honored that he would even trust me up here talking to you guys. Um, he is absolutely amazing and has drastically changed my life, and not just as a husband, but as my pastor. He has dramatically changed um, the trajectory, trajectory of my life. He has changed so much in me just by being my pastor, let alone my husband. So I am so grateful for him. Um, can I just be honest? Kevin is always up here, and he is, like, so good, and I just want you to know, like, this is not a comfort for me. This is totally out of my comfort zone. I am incredibly <laughs> nervous to be up here. It's not, like, my norm, um, and it is totally the Lord that I'm even up here um, because Kevin first texted me, like, over the summer and said, Amanda, I really want you to preach in the fall. And if I'm just being vulnerable and honest, no judgment, guys, um, I had a few choice words for the Lord, okay? <laughs> um, but I said, Lord, you're going to have him tell me to preach on pride, aren't you? And sure enough, next text message I get is, I really want you to preach on pride. So I'm like, you're funny, God. You are funny. <laughs> Um, so sure enough, that's what I'm preaching on today. And the reason why I don't want to preach on it is nobody wants to preach on pride, right? Because everybody that needs to hear a message on pride is too proud to listen. Okay, so um, and because really the main reason was because I am I have struggled my entire life with pride. It is something that like God has had to work a lot on, and He has done a lot to humble me so that I can get it um, in a better place. And um, so I'm going to talk about what pride is not and then kind of go into explaining what pride is. But first of all, I just want you to know, like, if you are right now saying, all right, she's talking on pride, I'm checked out, right? 
Like, those of us that are prideful, um, we're thinking, okay, this isn't for me, this is for my husband, or this isn't for me, this is for my friend, I hope they're here, right? Let me just tell you, that's pride talking, okay? That's pride talking. Um, So this message is for you. This message is for me. Um, This message is important for us to get and understand. So open your heart to what it's telling you and what God is trying to speak into you, Um, and don't worry about what it is saying to everyone else. Okay, because it's you need to you need to receive it. Okay, so let's talk about what pride is not. The reason why we want to talk about what it's not is because in the English language, words um, can have multiple meanings. For example, with love, I can say I love this coffee, and I really do. I love coffee, right? But I love my husband, and that love is very very different. Um, but it's the same word, right? And so pride, the pride that we're talking about is going to be different than what you may be thinking it is. So I want to talk about what it's not. Pride is not having self-confidence or self-care, okay? Pride is not having self-confidence and self-care. If you have made decisions, let's say, to eat healthier or go to the gym or whatever it is, maybe you've made some really good decisions. Well, you should be proud of that, right? Like, I'm proud if I've, like, went to the gym more than once a week, right? I'm, like, super pumped. Like, woo I did it. Um, (laughs) I need to go more than once a week. Um, (laughs) But, you know, you can be proud of that. You can be proud of that, um, doing that and taking care of yourself. And God has given us a boldness in us, right? And that is, um, that is something to be proud of. Um, so that's not the pride we're talking about. We're also not talking about the pride that um, when you take pleasure in doing a good job. So if you create this amazing piece of art, like you should be proud of it. If you like accomplish something by getting your degree, you should be proud. Like I'm proud of like the some of the accomplishments that I've done in my life. And that's okay. Like, that is not the pride we're talking about. We're also not talking about the pride um, that honors a relationship. So I can say, I'm so proud of my husband. I'm proud of what he's allowed God to do in his life. I'm proud of my kids. I'm proud of, you know, the things that they've accomplished already in such a short amount of time. Um, That is not the pride we're talking about. That's not the pride um, that we are focused on right here. The pride that we are talking about, and I'm just going to define it, and if you're taking notes, I would highly recommend you taking um, this down. Pride is being overly focused on yourself, not just focused on yourself, okay? Because, again, self-care is important, self-confidence is important, but it is an overly focused um, overly focused on yourself. So you're basically seeing everything through your, your eyes and your lens. When people talk to you, you're like, how does this impact me? And when people are like coming to you, you're like, okay, um, what, what will people think? And you know, how does that affect me? It's all about you, right? And so there's two different directions that pride can go. The uh, first one, and can I just be honest, is I I struggle with both of these, um, and I'll explain a little bit later, but the first one is arrogance. Like, have you ever been um, around somebody that, like, they're talking, you're talking to them, and you're trying to tell them about something, but all they kept saying is, me, 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 right? They, like, me monsters, um, and they're all about themselves. And, um, And so the arrogance pride is when you focus on yourself, you focus on you. And then there's insecurity. I think this is the one that we don't talk about enough um, and the one that we sometimes forget to identify that being pride. But insecurity can um, come through pride. 
And the way that works is you believe what other people think about you. You believe people think are thinking of you. And so you worry about, like, you know, am I good enough? Or, you know, what are people going to think if I do this? Or all that kind of stuff. It's still focused on yourself, but you're worried about what other people think. And so there's an insecurity. So I want to tell you a few examples of this. And um, we're going to start with arrogance. And um, have you ever heard of someone, like, where they say something profound or say something really great, and um, you're thinking to yourself, that's not from you. Like, you got that from someone else. Like, that's, like, you know, in a song or in a, you know, whatever. Um, Have you ever, like, had that moment? Um, Well, a friend of mine, it was me. Um, <laughs> came up with this thing, said, um, and I was like, I came up with this. It's so funny. It's how now brown cow, right? How now brown cow, hilarious. And my other uh, friend, uh, it was Kevin. Um, he lovingly told me, he's like, okay, that you didn't come up with that. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. I love you, but you didn't come up with that. Um, and sure enough, like it was a phrase in the 1920s that helped people learn the owl sound. So it was what teachers used. Who knew? I thought it was me. (laughs) Um, And so sometimes in our arrogance and our pride, we can think, like, we've come up with that idea. Like, have you ever been to work, you know, and you have a really good idea, and you're like, I've got a great idea, and someone else is like, "Uh, no, we already had that idea, you know? Um, So that's how arrogance um, can work and in pride. Um, Insecurity. So... Um, that's like when you're called to do something. Uh, for example, me feeling called to be a pastor's wife and be um, kind of in the background and do what I need to do, but not being up here on stage and all that, that can sometimes tend to make me feel like, oh, maybe I'm not good enough or, you know, I'm not like this pastor's wife who's leading worship or, you know, there's all of those insecurities that come into play. Um, but what's amazing is that um, God looks at at me and and he sees something that I don't even see in myself and um, he can do something greater in me through him. And so I am really grateful that that he saw an opportunity for me to do something out of my comfort zone because this is so not. Um, I personally have struggled with pride since I can remember Um it has, and, and again, I have struggled with it on both sides, the arrogant side and the insecurity, probably more so on the insecurity side. Um, and just so you know, a back, the little background of me, um, I did grow up as a um, Christian. I grew up um, my, my whole life going to church, right? Um, I believed in, in God, and, and I don't remember a time like, when Jesus wasn't present, and um, we as a family have generations of Christians within our family, so it probably grew up a little different than most people. But um, here's where where something negative came into something so beautiful, because that's what we want, right? We want our, our kids to grow up in a Christian home and, and to learn about God. But what happened was I became, I, I don't know if you want to say legalistic about my my um, Christianity, and I became rules-focused. I cared 
very much about um, making sure I was doing all the right things. And I cared so much about doing the right thing um, that I failed to care about my relationship with the Lord, which is ultimately what's most important. And so I was trying so much to um, make sure I am right in a lot of areas. And when my parents gave me a rule, I followed that rule. I followed that rule outside of like even being around them. I found it was super important, but I became so focused on those rules and and um, and what I thought was right that I became really prideful in it. And so I cared so much about you know, being right and what people thought of me and what they saw in me. And so I wanted them to think that I was a really good Christian, but while all the while, like, my heart is not where it needs to be, and I wasn't focused on my relationship with the Lord. So I want to tell you a story about um, me dealing with pride. And it's kind of a funny story, but at the same time, it is um, kind of how I dealt with a lot of situations in life. So Here's the background story. We um, used to live in South Carolina. We would travel back and forth from North Carolina and South Carolina. And uh, one day we were traveling. Um, my husband had a broken foot, and he was in a boot. And we stopped off to go get some subs. And as we were getting um, our subs, it was so, so good. It was my favorite sub place. We got back in the car to, to drive home, and um, I started going forward, and I felt my uh, tire catch on something, you know, and... Um, In my pride, I was like, all right, well, okay, that's a little different. I'm going to just keep going, right? Just rev it up a little bit more, and I'm good. And I look over to Kevin, and he's shaking his head. He's like, don't do it. Don't do it. And in my pride, I'm like, I got this. I got this. I just need to give it a little more gas. There's something something I just need to get over, right? And so this is kind of what happened. This is what it looked like. Yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> revved it up, got stuck on a median, and um, my poor husband, being in a boot, had to get out and push my car over the median. Now, this isn't my car in particular, and this um, because it's actually funnier if you saw him behind it in his boot pushing my car while I'm trying to get it over the hump. It was a <laughs> it was a disaster, and all I kept thinking when I was searching for pictures to tell you guys about this was, Lord, please don't let it be my car. Please don't let it be on here. I I thought for sure I was going to come across a picture of myself because I can imagine being an outsider seeing this. You're like, oh my gosh, I have to capture this and send it around. And that's what my fear was. You know, as funny as that is, I was so afraid that people are going to find out that I did this, you know, because gosh, it just makes me look so bad. And I'm like so worried about what people will think. And I'm like, this is going to be on social media. Oh my goodness. And I was just in tears. And I looked at Kevin, I was like, you better not use this as a sermon illustration. And you better not tell a single soul. Um, Because I was so concerned about what other people thought of me. And um, it's it's so sad because, like, when I think back on it, I'm like, wow, I really, like, I really said, don't use this sermon illustration. And what if it could have saved somebody's life? Like, was I really that prideful that I couldn't allow him to use a funny story of me um, simply to reach someone? And, I mean, the answer is yeah, because this happened 10 years ago. Like, I mean, this could have been something really, really awesome that he could have used, and and it could have been amazing to to, um, connect with people, but I was too prideful to allow him to. 
And so I think that's what's, what's sad, and I think that's, that's pride talking and pride working. So I want to talk about um, one of my favorite Bible stories um, that is going to show a person in there that is a little proud, but not proud in the sense that I think that we're normally used to. Um, and it's actually one of my favorite Bible stories. And if you ever get the chance to just, like, read into Scripture, this is, like, one of those that I love so much. It is in 1 Kings 17. It's the story of Elijah, but it's actually going to be, um, we're going to talk about another person in that story. But Elijah was a prophet from God. Elijah, like, allowed God to speak through him. He um, did absolutely amazing things in Scripture. Like, when you read, like, he did some awesome stuff. But Elijah, in, at this point, had talked to the king um, over the land, and um, they were worshiping another god, and he was like, listen, if you keep doing this, like, God is going to, um, you know, refrain from uh, water uh, for rain. There's, like, you're going to have a season of famine and all that kind of stuff. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. When, when he spoke it into existence, it happened. He said, listen, um, when, when I speak it into existence, it will rain, and, and God will um, do something. But at this point, they, they were in this drought. They um, did not have a lot of food around, and it was just a really dark time. And God took him um, to a place of loneliness. God um, took him to a Karif ravine where he was by himself. He was fed by ravens, and, um, and he also drank from a stream. And so God provided for Elijah, and then... Um, we're going to start in that, and, I'm, and we'll explain a little bit. And I am going to read through Scripture, but I'm going to stop here and there um, so we can kind of talk about it and explain it. So in 1 Kings 17, starting with verse 7, But after a while the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Okay, so he has told, like, he said, listen, I've already talked to a widow. I've already spoke to a widow. I've gave her instructions. She knows what she's supposed to do. Okay, that's what he tells Elijah. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. Now, it says that he saw a widow. The only way for him to be able to identify that she was a widow is if she was still wearing her grieving um, outfit. And so she was still in the grieving stages, which meant it was um, early into the tragedy of her losing her husband. And so she's in the midst of a really tragic spot, a really bad place. Um, and she's gathering sticks. And that shows like she's really poor. Like she does not have a lot um, for her to be out there gathering sticks. And so he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup as she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. So she's saying, all right, she, you know, she's already been told by God what to do. God has already instructed her. But her response is, I don't have anything to give, right? Her response is, 
I'm preparing us to die. We only have enough for one meal for me and my son, and I'm preparing for us to die, even though God has told her what she's supposed to do. And can I just side note here for a second? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Kevin has said it on, the, on stage. We say it to our kids. Delayed obedience is disobedience, okay? So in her pride, she is only seeing her problem. She is only seeing, like, this hopelessness. Um, she's not seeing what God has already instructed in her. She's already doubting that. So Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said but make a little bread for me first. Now, I love this because when I was reading this, all I kept thinking was, Elijah, God is speaking through Elijah, and he's saying, give to me what is mine first. And doesn't he do that with us, with tithing? Like he says, give me what is mine first so I can bless you with the rest. And, and so he says, but make a little bread for me first, then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. Do you hear that? Like she she gave to God what was his first, and then God blessed her and abundantly, right? Because she only had enough um, flour and oil to last her for that one night for her and her son. But it says that they had enough for several days. What an amazing miracle, and God does that still today. It's amazing. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Sometime later, the, woman, uh, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, O oh man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sin and kill my son? All right, it's okay like, to be sad. She is grieving because her son passed away. Um, and it is okay. Like, if, you are, if you're dealing with a tragedy, it's okay to be sad and grieve. What's not okay that she does is that she starts doubting God's goodness and she starts to, again, go back to being hopeless, okay? She goes back to being hopeless and doubting who God is. So Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. I love, I love that she, like she had all these moments of pride, right? She doubted God. She doubted what God could do through her. Um, she believed, She knew, um, she like trusted her own opinion of what was going on in the situation. Um, but 
God totally redeems her at the end, and she says, now I know for sure that you are a man of God, and so she finally sees hope in God, finally sees that God um, knows what he's doing and, and starts trusting him. So I love at the end that she finally gets it. But I want us to kind of reflect back and what pride does to us. So number one, pride keeps us focused on our problems. So in that story, in the very beginning, she's focused on her tragedy. She's focused on the fact that she has, she has very little food. Um, she's focused on what problem she is experiencing, and that is it. Even though God instructed her, God already told her, how many times do we um, have to have multiple people tell us something that God has already told us, right? God tells us to forgive, but we feel like we have something better in store, right? We know what's best. Um, and in this case, she felt like she knew what was best, and she was focused on her problems, and she focused on what she knew. And let me just tell you something. Like, she felt like she had big problems. And you know what? Like, when we look at it, she had some pretty big, you know, pretty big problems. But if your problems are so big, you are allowing God to be small. Do you hear that? If you are allowing your problems to be so big that you can't see God in it, then you are allowing God to be small. And let me tell you what, I do not serve a small God. I serve a God that can do something in each of us that no other could do, okay? We serve a big God. So the next one, pride keeps us doubting the power of God's grace and God's goodness. She doubted what God could do. She doubted that, like, she would be able to have enough food. She doubted um, that God was good when her son died. She completely had no hope, and, and she lost like, and started doubting who God was. And, and it's just so sad because, because God is good, right? Even in the midst of our, our tragedies, we can still say God is good. And, and he works things out for our good. So number three, pride keeps us from the power of God working through other people. She was told what she needed to do, right? God already instructed her. God said, I want you to do this. And he already told her what she needed to do. And Elijah comes into the story and, and tries to get her to do the right thing to start out. And she's doubting God. She's doubting him. And can I just tell you that a lot of times we can't see pride in ourselves and we need other people. Because we are a lot of times too proud to be able to see the pride within us. And we need other people to point it out. And in this case, she needed Elijah to point out the pride that she had within her so that God could work in that story and work in her life. And I want to tell you, like Kevin said not too long ago, um, maybe a few weeks ago, that our first conversation is what we worship and who we worship. And so her first conversation is immediately doubting God. Her first conversation was, is with Elijah. And I want to tell you a story about where I had um, a first conversation that was not um, where it needed to be. So I, um, I used to be a banker. I was a teacher. I, I'm now a teacher, and I've been a teacher for 
close to six years. Um, but before that, I was a banker for about 11 years. And when I was a banker, uh, there was some really, really rough times. And I remember a specific day that I was just, I just had it. I had it with all the changes that had been made. I was frustrated because, you know, I knew better. Um, all these changes didn't have to happen, and I knew better um, because, you know, like they need to consult me, um, you know, this big bank. They need to consult me because I know what's best. Um, so I went into the office of one of my friends who was a banker and um, just kind of poured my heart out. was just like, like, blah, 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 complain, 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 right? And she stopped me in the middle of it, and she said, Amanda, have you talked to God about this first? Ooh, that hurt. That hurt. Because if I was honest, I, I hadn't. I hadn't talked to God. And so I, I was so grateful for that moment. At, at first, I was a little stunned, and I'm like, you're supposed to be my friend. <laughs> but then I was like, isn't that being a good friend, right, pointing you to Jesus? And so I stopped for a second, and I was like, no, I hadn't talked to God about this, and she was like, I want you to leave my office right this second. I want you to go find a place that you can just simply focus on God and allow him to speak life into this situation. And you know what? I'm really glad that she was bold enough and that she got beyond my pride to be able to tell me that because I had an amazing moment. I, I went to Riverbank Zoo. I sat there in the middle of the garden, and I poured my heart out to God. And you want to know what? That was one of the most powerful moments of my life because God spoke to me in ways that I had never experienced before that moment. God did something absolutely amazing and I needed someone to see pride in me and be able to point it out. And I really wish that that was the last time that pride ever affected me. And I wish I could say, like, I didn't just go to, you know, that the first conversations is God's every time. But Kevin has had to point me, at, point me to God, like, hey, have you talked to God about this? Even just recently this week, um, I was complaining or just, like, talking about something that was really difficult at school. And, and I'm so grateful that God surrounds me with people that, that can point it out, and they were like, you need to go. You need to go in a place that you can just be with God and let him speak life into it. Um, I'm so glad that I'm around people like that, and that's what you need to surround yourself. You need to surround yourself with people that are willing to point out the pride in you. Okay, you need to be willing to point out pride in others, but do it in a way that is loving and through God because that we all need it because we're not going to be able to see pride in ourselves it is pride that keeps us from seeing it. And so I want to leave you with this big idea that pride keeps us from giving grace because pride shifts our focus from one another to ourselves. So pride keeps us from giving grace because pride shifts our focus from one another to ourselves. I want to leave you with this, this um, scripture, John 13, 34, a new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So pride keeps us from giving grace to one another because it shifts the focus to us, makes us the focal point of our lives. And as we talk about grace today, I think it's important to go to um, a very important scripture. 
And, and, and it comes out of, of, of James 4, if you'd look that, at that with me, that God gives grace generously, as the scriptures say, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I want to make three observations about that and, and, and the idea of allowing grace to thrive in relationships. The first one is this, that pride creates distance in a relationship, but grace invites intimacy. Pride creates distance. Pride is always going to hold people at arm's length because you don't want them to see kind of under the curtain. You don't want them to see the places that you struggle. You don't want them to see the places where you're vulnerable and frail. But grace, grace invites intimacy. Last week I told you that grace doesn't say it was okay. But grace says it's okay to move on. It doesn't say that what happened is is okay. It doesn't say that. But grace says, I don't want to be stuck in an offense. I don't want to be stuck in a failure. I don't want to stay. The the Bible says that the, the, the righteous may fall seven times, but they rise eight. Right? That's what grace enables us to do, is to move on. And Grace invites intimacy in a relationship because it doesn't hold on to hurt. It doesn't hold on to our perspective. The second thing is that the solution to pride, and this is really simple, but it's hard to live out. The solution to pride is humility. The solution to pride is humility. And some of you, if, if you're honest, everything in your life is running through a filter of me. Do I think it's right? Do I think it's best? And, 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 and we have to learn to embrace humility. As a matter of fact, James 4, 7 says this. This is to humble yourselves. So this is what I see. Number three in your notes, humility is something that you can develop through discipline and self-control. Humility is not a gift that God's going to give you. You're going to wake up one day and through the power of the Holy Spirit, God gifts you humility. As a matter of fact, when the Bible speaks of humility, it says over and over again, humble yourself. It's a choice that you will make. And here's the choice. You will either humble yourself or you will invite humiliation. Humiliation in its original context means to be made humble. God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. See, pride will do its own thing. It's going to decide for itself what's right and wrong, the direction to go. Pride looks for internal validation. I I feel like this is what I think is best for me. This is what, from my perspective, this is what I think I should be doing. But the Bible says that there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end of which is death. See, pride rejects outside opinions, outside help, outside correction. And though it is not comfortable, it is needed. Proverbs 12 verse 1 says that a fool despises correction. Pride will turn you into a fool. 
And pride decides ultimately this is where it becomes sinful and broken and wrecks our pride decides for itself what's right and wrong. That was the original sin of the garden. To hijack God's capacity to decide for you the best way for you to go, what's right and wrong, and to take that out. Now all of a sudden, right and wrong is subjective to my own perspective. And there's not one of us in here that hasn't been affected by it. But the good news is in James 4, the very first few words, that God gives grace generously. And today, if you're here and pride is something that you struggle with, I want you to know that the answer is found in Jesus. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.